Blessed be the Lord, my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight, my goodness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I trust who subdueth my people under me. Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him? Or the son of man that thou makest account of him? Man is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. Bow thy heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains and they shall smoke. Cast forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot out thine arrows and destroy them. Send thine hand from above. Rid me and deliver me out of great waters from the hand of strange children whose mouth speaketh lies or vanity and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song unto thee, O God. Upon a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings will I sing praises unto thee. It is he that giveth salvation unto kings, who delivereth David his servant from the hurtful or evil sword. Rid me and deliver me from the hand of strange children whose mouth speaketh vanity, and the right hand is a right hand of falsehood. that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace, that our garners may be full, affording all manner of store, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our streets, that our oxen may be strong to labor, that there be no breaking in nor going out, that there be no complaining in our streets. Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. <laughs> Would you say amen to God's word? You may be seated here this morning. Happy is that people whose God is the Lord. I would like you to look particularly at verse 12. This will be my theme and my text for this morning that I want to focus on. He says that our sons, that they may grow up as plants, they may grow strong, they may be as plants grown up in their youth. Literally the phrase grown up here means to grow strong. So that our sons may grow strong in their youth. Let me say, you better do it then. You'll have a hard time doing it when you're 50. It's harder to grow strong at 40 than it is at 5. Hello? So he said, I want our sons to grow as plants and that our daughters may be as cornerstones that have been polished or cut after the similitude of a palace. So these are the 
the, this, the portrait that he paints before us this morning. And I want to take a look at this. First of all, I want you to notice the first word of this verse is that. The, he is concerned about his children. He's concerned about not just his, but the children of the land, the children of the nation. He didn't say that my sons... He said that our sons. He didn't say my daughters, but our daughters. This is something that is, is a concern. David is king over the nation, and he is concerned about the youth of his country. He is concerned about the sons and daughters in the land. Oh, that we had leaders who cared about the generation coming up. We're trying to save the planet while we lose our children. We're mixed up. We're warped, we're convoluted, we're twisted around. He didn't say, Lord, oh, may help me that I can save Mother Earth or help me, Lord, that I can conserve the trees. There's some value in some of that, but he said, Lord, the greatest concern to me is for our children. I'm concerned about my children and the children of this land. So in the verse, there's three things I wish to talk about. There is, there is number one, a dilemma. Then number two, there's a design. And number three, there's a delight that is going to follow. I want you to note this now. That our children, that our sons, that our daughters. What, what's got to be done? What's going on that he, he is concerned? What is it that has brought this in David and, and that has brought the king to a place where he is concerned about the children of the land and, and their status and, their, and, and, and how they're being raised and, and, and the country and society in which they're going to be raised? Well, when we go back to the beginning of the psalm, we will learn here that there is, there's a proclamation that he makes. And then he's going to uh, uh, deal with some other things in uh, a, a resignation in reference to his own state or the status of humanity. And then he is going to offer a petition unto the Lord. So let us look first of all at his proclamation. And it's going to tell us where this is at and what's this coming from. Psalm 144 and verse 1. He begins and says, Blessed be the Lord, my strength. This word strength is, is more frequently translated rock in Psalm 18, I believe in verse 31 there, it is translated rock. We know that song that we sing, the Lord liveth, blessed be the rock of my salvation. That's what he says. He says, the Lord is my rock. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. And he talks about here about God being his deliverer and God being his savior. But what you're going to find out is that he is facing an enemy. David is looking, he's got some enemies breathing down his throat and that are confronting him on the field of battle. And David is concerned because if he loses the battle, guess what? He is going to become the captive of another country. He's going to have the influence of strange children. That's what strange children are. They are the children of foreigners. They are children of those who do not have the customs and not live by the laws 
idols and do not worship the same God and have the same designs and purposes. And David says, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested that my children would come under the influence of others. There is a battle that is going on and David is headed to battle and, and he looks at this and, and his concern is not so that he can win to get glory, not so that he can win to keep his crown, not so that he can win this battle so that everything is nice and he can keep his palace. No, I want to keep my children. We're more concerned about keeping our job than our children. We're more concerned about keeping our comforts than we are about keeping the values and the morals and the character of our families. We're more concerned about the economy than we are our ethics. We're more concerned today about material things than we are moral things. But this man is not concerned about territory, palaces, gold and silver. He said, I am concerned ultimately about our youth. There is an economic concern that is mentioned. I'll get to it later, but it flows first here. This is the first concern of the psalmist David, and he proclaims first a blessing to God. Can I tell you something? God doesn't fight your enemies because they're your enemies. God only fights his enemies. There is only one fight you can expect to win. And it's the fight in which you are engaged against God's enemies. Because if you are fighting against God's enemies, then God is on your side. Because God's enemies are the only ones that he fights against. But if you happen to be fighting against those who are not God's enemies, then hear me, God fights against you. And you cannot expect, I get amazed sometimes that these folks I get together, just a little side item here, it just astounds me that, that somehow how we've tried to interweave Christianity in organized sports and, 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 and you get two teams on the ball field and this one's playing to, or praying to whip this one. Oh God, help us to you know, win this game. And I don't know, I guess you got a Christian on the other side and he's, he's play, praying to win this game. I don't know how you do that because I don't think that that's God's enemies, all right? And, and you can offer a prayer up for God to help you to win. All you're wanting is glory. That's not the point of this man doesn't want glory. He recognizes that he has got uh, some clout with God because the enemies that are facing him are going against God also. And he can count that God will be on his side because he is on God's side. Notice this. Quickly, if I look at these verses, the truths that are found here are wonderful. Again, this is a proclamation. What does he say about God? This is interesting because he's going to battle, but he says, The Lord that teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight or to battle, if you will. That When we look at that, that's an aspect of God that isn't taught today. The God that is preached today, the Christ that is presented to people, is a God that is, is anemic. It's a God that's wimpy. It's a God that is wishy-washy. It's a God that's plastic and, and moldable and pliable. You can fit him into any societal arrangement you want to fit him into. You, he, he, he's 
a member of any organization you want him to be. And, and he'll conform to whatever kind of mindset that you have. Uh, and that Christ becomes kind of a, a God that, that becomes whatever you want to make him to be. And, and he's soft and he's, and you know, he's, uh, he's this God that's ushy-ushy and gushy-gushy and tolerates everything and, and never judges or, 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 or never does anything to upset anybody or, or never does anything by which someone can be offended. My, but this man's concept is, uh, is that God teaches me to war. God teaches me how to hold my sword tight. God teaches me how in the, and when I'm in the heat of the battle, how that I can hold on to that in faith and I can fight and destroy the enemies of God. When you talk about there are two concepts here in war. There is war and then there are battles. War is made up of many battles. War is the entire campaign. That refers to the, the overarching cause that you are defending or fighting for and, and talks about what, what is your purpose in this war? Why are you in this war? Where are you going? How do you defeat your enemy? What is, how are you going to order this campaign so that you come out on top? Do you have a just cause? That's war. Battles are, is that this is a little battle. I'm in a skirmish. I'm in an area here. And this is not the whole war, but, but this outcome of this battle is going to affect the outcome of the war. If I lose this battle, I might lose the war. I might not lose the war. If if I win this battle, it's surely going to help me. And so you look at that particular battle and everything you have to do in that one area, but you must keep in mind the larger concept. You and I must do that. Our God will teach us how to fight in this hour. I know as the church, we do not fight with swords. We do not go out and take up weapons to further the cause of the church. That's true. But we do wield the sword of the Spirit. We do have the authority and is moral and spiritual and that we can proclaim what is right and wrong unto a culture that doesn't want to live by moral absolutes. We can go out and declare to them with conviction, with power, with authority. This is God's word. God's judgment is upon you. God's hand is against you or God is with you if you are right. And if you belong to him, he will keep you. And if you don't, you will be a child of wrath. So understand that. That's his, his proclamation. He declares how God is his strength. My hand is the general. My fingers are specific. The hand is that which grips, refers to the entire member, the palm, the fingers, everything. I can grip something, but my fingers, I don't play this with my hand. I play it with my fingers. I pick it up with my hand. So he says, Lord, I need the broad picture and I need, Lord, the specific picture, Tom, the end. I need it, Lord, that I may see the larger thing that's going on in life because if you lose sight of that, then you can lose sight of where you're at. There's sometimes in war that they choose to back out of a battle because it's going to hurt their cause in the larger campaign of winning the war. There are sometimes you retreat. There are sometimes you go forward. But in the end, the goal and objective is victory. And nothing less than victory must be the goal or the objective. 
perspective. If you're in a war for a political reason, if you're in a war for a social reason, you're in a heap of trouble. You must be in it for a moral reason. You must be in it for that which is, is, is grounded and rooted. And I'm here to tell you something today. We are in a war. If you think that this is just about some freedoms in America, no, it's about your children. It's about your future. It's about the generation we're in. And even where the church world is, what's it going to be here? I've come up in a country when, that is so far different than what it was when I was coming up as a child. When I look back to the 70s, even then the things that were going on, yes, were difficult. But I will tell you, I had far greater liberties then than I do now as a citizen of this country. And yet I think about where we are going and the destructiveness and the total depravity that is coming to destroy the youth of this hour. He talks about so much here quickly. He calls God his goodness or the word is translated mercy most frequently. God, you are my mercy. You're the one who teaches my hands to war and fight. You're the one that can show me how to win this battle. You're my mercy. Do not expect to have mercy from a country that has turned its back on God. Do not expect that you will get mercy from people who are selfish. Do not expect you'll get mercy from a culture that idolizes humanity. No. He says, God, if I'm going to find mercy, it'll be at your feet. I'm going to find mercy and goodness. It's with you. I'd like to ask you that question. You tell me today, where can you find virtue? Where can you find true goodness? Where can you find true kindness? Where can you find true compassion? Is it with Hollywood? I dare say not. Is it on Capitol Hill? I dare say not. Uh, where should you find it? There is but one who can give us the true love, and that is God Almighty. You shall not find it uh, merely in the hands of, 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 of a, a decadent culture, but you can find it in the hands of a God that is good. He says, God, you are my fortress. You're my high tower. You're that place that is high in the cliffs. I can to and nobody can reach me. You're my savior, my deliverer. You're my shield when the fiery darts and the arrows of the enemy are coming against it. You are my shield. You're the one I trust. You're the one that subjects my people under me. Now if I can take that and apply it to the homes, just to the homes for a moment, I'm going to tell you, dads, you better take up the sword in order to protect your family. You better take up the sword and realize you've got a role. Ask God to teach you how to fight. Ask God to teach you how to protect your homes. Let God be your deliverer. And I will tell you, it is God who has put your family under you. You don't have that right by some self-ordered purpose or some self-ordained idea. The reason that father's the head of the house is because God has deemed it necessary. That wasn't a societal idea. That was a godly creation. That wasn't something that man dreamed up. It's what God designed and put in order. And it's up to you and I to honor that. Because if you go against God's order, you go against God. I don't want to hear, well, we don't do it that way today. That's pathetic. You're not God. How many of you believe that God was smart enough that even if he wrote it 3,000 years ago, it could still apply in 2021? Do you think that God is so ignorant that he writes something, his eternal wisdom, and he gives us his eternal word, and in 60 years it's outdated, and 100 years it's irrelevant? 
In 500 years, it ceases to have any meaning or value. <laughs> I don't think so. No. I'll tell you, you take that Bible and hold it up to any philosopher today. Hold it up to any of the experts. Hold it up to any of the wisdom of the sages of the Platos and the Socrates and the Aristotles that have come. Hold it up to the, to the great intellectuals of our hour, all the great novelists and all the men in our educational institutions. Hold that book and I'm going to tell you right now, they've got nothing that they have originated and put in this hour that supersedes the wisdom that has come from the mouth of God. Man doth not live by bread alone. He doesn't also live by the bread of intellectuals. He doesn't live by the bread of philosophers. He lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God doth man live. And I want you to understand that it is God's word that is still relevant and right. God is not a fool. He's able to look into the future and know what we need. And he stands after making this great proclamation. I'm in a battle, Lord. You teach me to fight. You're my keeper. You're my protector. And then he, he's all of a sudden overwhelmed with what he's even asking. This is a tremendous thing here. Oh, God, what is man? You think about that for a moment. Here I am preaching, pour my heart out boldly with great conviction for the Lord God. But who are we today? What are we here? I don't know, 75 people this morning? I don't know. And here you are as a father in your little home on your little corner of the street. You got your children in the house and your wife. And here's your four or five people out of over eight billion. You're, you're, you're taking up a half acre of earth in a world that's Thousands and thousands of acres. Massive planet. And here's this God that holds the earth, comprehends the dust of the earth in a single measure. The hollows, the waters and the palms of his hand. Here's this immense God that is so great and mighty who made the worlds who spoke these things and they exist. The God that is so wise and not this, the universe that he has made, the galaxies that extend beyond our sight, planets and stars innumerable, all of that, God has done it and it was as if it was nothing. All the nations in the world, he said, if you took them and piled all of the nations together, it would be like this bucket and putting one little drop of water in the bottom of it. What the drop of water would be to the bucket would be what the nations are to God in some measure. He is immense. And what is it that he should pay attention to us? We're outnumbered. Many times we're outmaneuvered. We're outvoted. Hello? On every way you turn, it would seem that those are against us. Why should God take up our case? Why should God even know man? Why should he even pay attention? God who made this man who spits at him. He made this man and this man has violated everything which God designed him for. Why shouldn't God just and push him on out of the picture? Why shouldn't God just flip him off as if he is nothing and start over? 
different. Do something different. Make another Adam. Make somebody who doesn't even want to call an Adam. I don't care. Do whatever. Just do something because you know what? Because God is God and, and he's so great and these little insignificant peons that are running around on the earth who think that they are so great and that they've got everything in control and they can do so much. He says, oh God, what is man that thou art mindful that you know him? Oh, God knows you. I'm telling you everything about you. Your governor doesn't know you. Your wife doesn't know you. Your children don't know you. Your president doesn't know you. Your senator doesn't know you. Your congressman doesn't know you. I'm telling you, but God knows every facet of your being, every detail in your mind, every birth date. I mean, your birth date. He knows everything about you, every molecule in your body. He knows your DNA. He knows your genes. He knows your history. He knows where you're coming and where you're going. He knows everything about you. Your president wasn't there when you were born, but God was. Sometimes all your parents weren't even there when you were born, but God was. When you were conceived, God was there. When you first walked, your daddy might have missed it, but God didn't. First words that come out of your mouth, mama might have missed it, but God didn't. No one can read your thoughts, but God does. Glory. In the secret hour, when no one saw what you did, God saw what you did. When you were troubled in your heart and no one understood you, God knew where you were at. God understood what you were doing and where you were going. What's the thing about that? The psalmist is overwhelmed of it. I'm here worried. This is one little battle in the midst of the world. This is one little part of a campaign in the midst of the world. And should I be able to look up to the God of the universe who is the sovereign administrator over all of the ages of time, over all of the countries of the world? And should I be able to say, God, help me and God take up my cause I say if you're on God's side yes you ought to be glad that God pays attention to those that he has created and that you and I can stand with confidence and say it is my God he says Lord man is just vanity even your life What are you going to get, 70 years, 80 years? Some are pushing for 90 years, maybe even 100. You'll probably not go much more than that. What's that to the thousands of years before you and then will come after you? You're not just one among 8 billion now. There have been billions before you. You didn't create this thing. You just came along in the middle of it. David never made Israel. God did. David wasn't there when they crossed the Red Sea. David never drank the water that came from the rock. David never ate the manna in the wilderness. David wasn't there when Moses fled. David wasn't there when Moses saw the burning bush. David wasn't there when God had called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and said, go to the land. No, he didn't see any of that. David was not privy to the Noah and Noah's that stuck to Noah and understand the things of his time. All David knows is this is my hour. This 
this is my age. I am alive. And I'm here because God's made me. And I've got a battle on my hands. I got some foreigners who want to take over my country. I got some people who want to take my home and want to rob my family and want to rob my nation. And I need God's help. And Lord, I just know that I'm overwhelmed with the sense of how can I have any importance in your economy. But it's immediately he takes and goes to prayer and he says, God, bow the heaven down. Bow the heavens and come down. You better be glad. You better be glad that God heard the prayer of a man over here that was crying out to preach the gospel. When you thought nothing of it, when you were going your way, when you were doing your thing, God had someone over here in the shadows that was studying and preparing, that was crying and praying. You had nothing to do with that. You were sowing your wild oats. You were living your self-centered life. You were following the gods of this age. You were living by the principles of the flesh. You were doing your own thing, following your own appetites. Eat what you want, all you want. Live the way you want. Live with who you want. Go where you want. Say what you want. Uh, treat the boss how you want to. Treat the wife. Uh, not even have a wife. Whatever, you're doing your own thing. Uh, but there's somebody that God uh, in his sovereignty has reached down uh, and found him a man. Uh, and he puts him here and he draws him. And that man is crying to God. Uh, that man is saying, Lord, I'll preach for you. And he says, I'll be a voice in the wilderness. I'll go out and lift up and I'll cry. What will you cry? I will cry all flesh is grass and all the glory of man is as the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away but the word of the Lord endureth forever and this is the word whereby the gospel is preached unto you. And that preacher comes out of the shadows and preaches you a word that wakes you up out of your sins, that calls you out of this world that's headed straight for destruction. And you come out and you hear the grace of God and you hear the word of that grace and you repent of your sin and you get back on the right path. Oh, you must stop and ask the question, Here, God, why me? How did you do that? How is it, Lord, I wasted 45 years of my life, but I thank you that you found a man. I thank you you found a grandma. You found somebody, Lord, that would take their time. And, Lord, you intervened. You maneuvered the circumstances that I may hear the gospel and be saved from my sin. He says, Lord, come. He talks about him in natural terms of the, of the, the natural world, lightning and thunders and mountains smoking, volcanic activity. Touch it, Lord. Touch it. Cities overnight that were there in the glory. A volcano. The city is no more. The people are buried. Pompeii has that history. There are cities yet today that have been covered in ash. I'm telling you. He says, Lord, come down. Intervene. Rid me. Open up their hands. Let me out of their grip. Notice this. Verse 8, of strange children. Again, what are strange children? It's the children of foreigners. They serve a different God. They have a different ethic. 
They have a different purpose. And I don't want to be under their control or their influence. He said, because they speak vanity. I don't want to say this critically. I don't. It's so hard not to be critical in a time in which there's so much nonsense. The absurdities get so great that they become laughable. But can I ask you just a question honestly? Of all that the politicians and many preachers in America speak when they open their mouth, how much worth can be placed on their words? Of how much real profit is it to a society and a culture? Are their words such that they're just furthering their political agenda? If that's all I can speak to you this morning, some new idea of Daniel Woods, can I tell you, you've wasted your time today. And I've wasted your time. And I've wasted mine. But if I can find some words that are higher than Dan Woods, if I can find some words that are eternal, forever settled in heaven, I can find some words that were here before I came along and before you came along, that which is inspired by God, truth, oh my. Oh, if I can open my mouth and speak the things of God and the truths that are found in that word, that's something you can lay hold of. That's something that's meaningful. That's something that's of worth and value. I would tell you 99% of what comes out of the mouth of men in leadership today, it isn't worth a plug nickel. It isn't worth anything. It'll do nothing but irritate you. It won't make you a better man. It won't make you a better woman. It won't draw you closer to God. It won't give you the purpose for why you're here. It's just simply furthering a selfish agenda. They open their mouth and they speak vanity. And their right hand, he said, is a hand of falsehood. What does that mean? What does that mean? Come here, young man. Just one. This will work right here. So we stand here. We make our commitments. I'll do this for you. You do this for me. Okay. I'll do this. This is the job I'm going to perform. You pay me $500. Let's shake on it. That handshake is as good as my motive and the purity of my heart. He said, yeah, they'll shake your hand. They'll tell you they're working for your good. They'll tell you they're there to help you. They'll tell you they're there to bring peace. Well, we've gotten a lot of peace, haven't we, lately? Oh, yes. They'll tell you they're there for the benefit of society. But I will tell you, go ahead and shake their hands. a hand of falsehood. There's a lie behind it. It's of no good because their meaning is wrong. Their motive is wrong. Their desire is wrong. Oh, can I shake the hand of God? Because what God tells me will come to pass. What God says will be right. If God declares it, oh, and sanctions it, if God, uh, 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 swears by it uh, in his own right hand. You can know it will come to pass. Uh, for when God speaks is eternal, it is the one word you can depend on. He said, God, I can't enter into treaty with those people. I can't go make some kind of agreement with them. I can't uh, uh, make an alliance with them. The right hand is a hand of falsehood. They'll turn on me. They'll stab me in the back. Uh, they'll kick me down. Uh, but if you promise, Lord, salvation, I will be saved. Uh, if you promise hope, I'll have hope. Uh, I want to know that you are my deliverer. 
He says, Lord, if this happens, I'll sing a new song to you. Woo, verse 9, I'll sing a new song, God. And you know those hands, Lord, that you taught to war and those fingers that you taught how to fight? They can do something else. They can not only, Lord, be a sword against your enemies. Lord, they can hold a harp and they can tinkle the strings so that I can sing a song of praise so that the God that gives me victory will be the God that I worship. So that the God that teaches my hand to war will be the God that I sing to and delight in. And I'll not just sing. I'll make a song. When you put it in writing, now you've written it down for a memorial. It's there to last. It's one thing to hum a tune. It's another to write a song. He said, Lord, my experience of victory, I'll write a song about it. I'll put it down in words, Lord, that I'll sing it. And my children will hear it. And my grandchildren will hear it. And the people of the culture will hear it. And 50 years from now, Lord, they'll still be singing that song. Oh, when God delivered David from his enemies. And we are here to testify, great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised. I'm amazed. What was it, the 1600s? If my memory serves me right, I could be wrong. John Newton lived. In the 1700s, the hymns written by Charles and John Wesley, we still sing today. I like hymns that have been written. You can measure a culture, you can measure a church. By the songs it writes. What do you mean by that? Look at many of the songs that come today down the pike. Can I tell you, I'd like you to take note of how many of them are generic. What do I mean by generic? The song never will specifically mention the name of Jesus or God. And it could be sung about God or your lover. Right. Come on, now. Go ahead. And it wouldn't make any difference. It could be sung to Jehovah or Zeus. It could be sung to your favorite ball team or it could be sung to Jesus. Well, I'm singing it to Jesus. Are you? Why are you so ashamed to put his name in it? Why are you so ashamed to make it specific? Why is it we just talk about our faith instead of the one who founded our faith? Woo, glory. Why is it that our terms of God in our culture are all generic terms? It's just God and faith. How about Jesus Christ? How about Jehovah? How about El Shaddai? Oh, how about the I am? How about those things that talk about this great and eternal God? No, he says, Lord, I will write a song. Of victory. And he says, Lord, deliver me from that hurtful sword, that evil sword. Why is it an evil sword? It's an evil sword because it has an evil purpose. Its purposes are wrong. Its conquering is not for God's glory. It is for selfish gain. And again, he cries, rid me. Now let's look at the design. So his dilemma is he's in a battle. And if he loses that battle... His children are going to come under the influence of strangers. So he speaks to a design. He talks about our sons and our daughters. Can I just say for the sake of where we are today, 
that he only mentions two. If you didn't get that, I'll be plainer. Sons. That's men. Males. Daughters. That's women. Females. There was nothing in between. There was nothing in addition to. He wasn't having a gender identity crisis. And his children were under no delusion. We should recognize how utterly nonsensical such talk is. I didn't know. I, I, I got lost in the terminology. And I was listening to a little bit. We were waiting on my wife and I was listening to the radio. And they talked about a transgender woman. Something happened to her. And I sat for a moment, scratching my head. My daughter was sitting there. I, I'm asking my daughter, a 56-year-old. I'm fairly learned, but I'm still quite ignorant, I suppose. I said, a transgender woman. I said, Hannah, is that a woman trying to be a man or a man trying to be a woman? Well, she didn't have an immediate answer either. So we came up with our best guess on it. If it's a transgender woman, I could be wrong. We thought that must be a man who's transferring or trying to translate and become a woman. I got to confess, I'm not sure why you'd want to do that. But at the same time, can anybody not see the utter sense of ridiculousness and the abyss that it opens up? Where does that stop? If you can't define your gender, what does? Feelings that change every five minutes? Feelings that come and go with the weather? Is my human psyche so fragile that it's anchored in my perceptions? Is the human creation anchored and tied to simply what we think we are? Is there not something more concrete than that? Am I left to what the philosophers say who will die today and another will take their place tomorrow? The philosophies will be outdated and what will I be then? Is there anything that I can transfer to my children more concrete to say to them, your humanity does not reside in your perception. It resides in your creation. You are made a certain way. You are made with a specific design. God has made you male or he has made you female. You're either a man or you're a woman. There's nothing in between. There's nothing besides that. The chromosomes preach it the DNA preaches it and I'm telling you just accept it because it was here a long time before you got here we're so 
our psyche becomes so fragile. If Christianity and Christians were as fragile as this liberal LGBTQYZ, whatever it is, agenda. If we were as fragile as that, we'd have died out a long time ago. Can you imagine Paul? Caesar, Nero, I'm offended because you didn't call me by what I am. I'm not a he or a she. They called him everything. Ugly names. But Christians didn't go hide in a collar or corner somewhere and sue them and say, oh, oh, my day is ended. I got to get $100,000 out of this. I got to go sue them and, and give me half a million dollars, you know, because they just don't believe like I do. Now, you know what Christianity did? They didn't go cry in a corner because they weren't liked. They didn't go cry in a corner because they were ridiculed. They were blasphemed. They were tortured. They were burned at the stake. You know what they did? They went to a corner and said, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. They went to a corner and prayed and said, God, have mercy on their souls. Open their eyes to see the truth. Cause them to come to the light that they might experience the great salvation of the king. I would reject that movement over its fragility. I would reject it because it's weak and anemic if for nothing else. I am not going to anchor my soul in a person's uh, theory that don't even know what gender they are. Because if you can't figure that one out, buddy, you sure can't teach me how to raise my children. You sure have got no value to teach me right and wrong when you're having an identity crisis. You are having psychiatric problems and then you want to come and tell me how to run my life. I think not. No, sir. I don't want my sons and daughters under the influence of a strange nation and a strange philosophy. I want them to stay in the doctrine of Jesus Christ anchored in God's holy word. Glory to the Lamb of God. We are here by design. We are men and we are women. Give me just for a few moments right here on this point. What a tremendous task just in that realm of raising children today. The attack is so subtle and it's overt and subvert at the same time. Sometimes it hits you in the face and sometimes it comes through the back door. Sneaks in the window. How does it hit you in the face? It hits you in the face in the school systems that want to, libraries that bring in drag queens to read to your children and somehow trying to teach you that that's the norm. No, that's an aberration. That's something that's out of whack. It's convoluted. No, 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 no. But but sons. Let Let me tell you. Young men, you are men. You may be men in the making in terms of maturity, all right? But you're men. Don't ever let anybody tell you anything different. Because for you to do anything different than that would make you look like a fool. You're a man. Learn to act like one. Learn what goes into making one. Spend time with men. Godly men. 
to these young ladies, you are ladies. Have you ever noticed how lopsided our world is? Let me, let me tell you how lopsided it is. I said this, but if a woman acts like a man, it's accepted. If a man acts like a man, he's crucified. If a man acts like a woman, that's accepted. But if a woman acts like a woman, she's thought like she is freaky. That's right. Is that weird? Is there anybody in here besides me that thinks that's strange? The Bible says you call good evil and evil good. But, but we don't seem to think that. So if a man stands up and says, I'm going to be the leader of my house, I'm going to love my wife, provide for my children, I'm going to be a spiritual leader, I'm going to pray, my boys are going to be boys. They're going to learn when they scrape their knee, they can't go whining about it all the time. Come on. You see, your culture is fighting you. Let me tell you how it's fighting you. Let me tell you how many ways it's fighting you. Some of the ways. I can't tell you all the ways. Sure, come, son. Come. This is my grandson. Put that in your pocket. Thank you. This is my grandson. All right? How, how, how are they fighting him? I'll tell you. One is to make him lazy. So we think somewhere between the age of one or zero and 17, the only activity they should have is playing a video game. For to chop firewood would warp their mentality. To actually make them do chores would twist their personality and warp their character. Really? You better hope you make a lot of money. Because someone's going to have to take care of your sons. How else are they making them lazy? Don't you be offended to this preacher this morning, all right? This, what I'm about to say, we can all take heed to, all right? Not, not trying to be offensive in this, I'm not. We're overeating. We're too heavy. Hello? It makes you so you can't think clear. It makes you so you can't work hard. It shortens your life. And we are eating too much. We don't know when to quit. We don't know when to shut it down. It's okay. We come together on a Sunday. We have a nice meal together. We ought to. Eat your piece of cake. But don't have five every day of the week. And eat one piece. Eat eat something of good measure. Not a six-inch wedge. And realize you might have to do something during the week. It skips a few meals. If you have a little extra on a Sunday feast when we eat together. But your sons that are overweight are becoming lazy and sloppy in their clothes and their dress and their actions and their attitudes. 
And they are more akin to being women than men. We're losing the masculinity. Because we're not raising warriors. We're not raising young men that are growing strong. He said, I want my sons to grow strong in their youth. I don't want them to be couch potatoes. The fashions. Your little tight clothes. They'll fight you. You go to the, to the store to buy clothing for your kids. And it's all gender neutral. Hello? And how can you find something to do? You dress them and look like a man. How about haircuts? Styles. So they spike your hand. (laughs) Get me a mohawk. I let it go and get my dreadlocks. I want to let this thing go out. You're whooping your psyche. You're giving in to a culture that has no mooring. It has no anchor. It has no clear destination. It has no path. It's just giving in to whatever feels good. It's just giving in to whatever pleases the world around you. Let someone stand up and say, man, I am going to wear my britches up. Yeah. I'm going to pull my pants up. I'm going to tuck my shirt in. I'm not going to look like a slob. I'm not going to dress like a slob. And my haircut's going to look like a man. Well, they're going to make you talk about you and make you look freakish. That's okay. They may say what they want. My psyche's not that frail. I am absolutely secure in knowing that God made me this way. Glory to the Lamb of God. It is pleasing to God when men act like men. I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to pay my bills. I'm going to love my wife. And I'm going to grow in strength. But I'm going to be gentle to those whom I need to be gentle. In other words, when I need to restrain my strength, I will restrain it. I will discipline my children, but not in my anger. I will discipline them in self-control. Yes, I will correct them. I will speak with my wife, but not harsh and unknown words that are unkind. I will speak with her with honor and respect. And, but I will exercise my authority as someone who is under authority and give account unto my God. David said, there's a generation coming up, and my sons have got to grow strong when they're young because you it's hard to make it up when you get older you've got to learn it now if we can take four young men right here how many more we got four over here I got eight bodies I got eight young men right here oh, I'm telling you and the other of us is three of the rest of us brother if we can take those eight our oh, brother in the next generation they can go further than me and you brother Benny because they can shine like lights when that world has come to the end of its road when they've come to the end of their disillusions and they're down to the place where it hadn't worked out any won't work out. I'm telling you, you can be a man trying to be a woman. It is not going to work out. I'm just telling you in the end, it's going to come down and your psyche is going to be messed up. You're going to wonder about this and that when that all falls apart. Hallelujah. You can stand in the middle of that and say, I know the way home. I know the way home. I can point you where you need to go. Daddies, you got to let your son get their hands dirty. Get them out there cutting the grass with you. Mamas, I love you. Don't take me wrong. 
Fathers, use wisdom. Your son's three. Don't give him a chainsaw. Okay. Get him a toy one. And play with that one. As he gets big enough in size, he can handle some equipment. Let him handle it. Well, he's too little for a weed eater. Get the kinds I used to grow up, or I grew up with. Like there's 10 weed eaters. Hey, the strings don't wear out. They don't take any gas. Yeah. Son, I need you to pull up the weeds around this sidewalk today. Oh, you're just creating work. Well, you got to do that sometimes. It's all right. He goes out and he climbs a tree. Daddy wants to take the son out and do something. It might be even a little bit, seems like dangerous. Fathers, have it in control. It's all right. My daddy took me on expeditions. We went out here and there. But mom, oh, I don't want my little boy to go out there. Oh, daddy get hurt. Hush. Hush. You are an obstacle in the growth and maturity of your son. You cannot keep him under your skirt tail. He is in a culture that will devour him. And you keep him there, he'll soon be making your mind go crazy when he comes home in a dress instead of a pair of pants. When he comes home with lipstick on, and you wonder, what did I do wrong? You wouldn't let him climb the tree. You wouldn't let him hold a gun. You wouldn't let him fight. You wouldn't let him play cops and robbers. You wouldn't let him play cowboys and Indians. I'm telling you, we must run. Sons. Amen. 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 Yes. I got I got a little grandson. He's almost two. I think he was born with a pistol in his hand. Come on. He was on the trampoline with his girl's cousins. He pistol whipped a few of them. <laughs> now we don't go for that, no. He has to learn. But I've got to do that in a way because it's not like it used to be. My culture, 60, 70 years ago, would reinforce that manhood. You didn't have to worry. Your son went to school. He was among the boys out there. Now, you might have to worry about him burning someone's house down. You might have to worry about him uh, uh, taking and throwing apples at people. But you didn't have to worry about him coming home with his nails painted. You didn't have to worry about him coming home uh, asking you a question. Daddy, I felt like a girl today. I don't know what to do. You wouldn't have to worry about that because in our culture, the roles of masculinity and femininity were distinct. They were clear. Everybody knew what they were. Everybody knew who they were. But my culture doesn't enforce that anymore but this church will enforce it you bring them here this church will enforce it we'll help your sons be sons we'll encourage your daughters to be daughters and let them go out and play and so I got to help that young man I say hey you can't treat your cousins that way you can't treat your sisters that way that's not what you do with a pistol let's just go bang all right let's do that go out there and, and find your stick of wood and whoop on that go out there and find you something else that you can beat on but I'm telling you something I want him to build those things in his psyche. That's who he is. Thou teachest my hands to war and my fingers to fight. All China has to do and Russia has to do is give us another 30 years 
and we won't be able to produce enough young men to defend ourselves. We'll be so obese, we'll be so weak, and so psychologically fragile that they can take us over without firing a shot. You'll have to forgive me, I preached long. Can I talk to the girls just a moment? Girls, you've got to learn to be women. You've got to learn how to sit like women. You've got to learn how to posture yourself and conduct yourself. You know, as the old saying goes, how's it go? Boys are made out of, oh, is it something and snails and puppy dog tails? Girls are sugar and spice, everything nice. That's what girls are made of. Sugar and spice and everything nice. And what's the boys? What is it? Hammers and nails? Snakes and snails. That's the one I heard. Snakes and snails and puppy dog tails. Mm, yeah. That's what I like. He said, I want our daughters to be like a cornerstone. I want that young man to be like a plant. A plant. Not something that grew up wild. Something you put in a specific pace for a specific purpose. A plant. You dug the hole. You put the fertilizer in. You plant it. This is where I want it. This is the kind of plant I want. A plant. It didn't just grow up because some bird dropped a seed. I want our young men to portray vitality, vigor, life, purpose. But our girls, I want them to be like a cornerstone. Ah, there's different opinions on that. It is translated just a cornerstone. So what is a cornerstone? But it was at a stone that was cut. It was, it was polished. It was, it was made at the quarry for a specific purpose. And you laid it down at the temple or the palace. It can be translated. But that cornerstone, if that be the case, has a couple of purposes. One, it anchors that building. It is a symbol of strength. But everything kind of ties to that. I can tell you, dads, you show the vitality. You give the direction that's true. But mamas, can I tell you something? You are that which can be an anchor in a house. Ooh, in a family. I've talked about men. Uh, their mamas sometimes was just like an anchor. They were like a rock that was there. And everything. Dads sometimes in the battle can become distraught. Because they're out there and their hands are weary. And they're fighting that fight every day. They can get distraught. But when they come in that house. They oughtn't to find the same battle there. That's going on out there. They ought to find in that house. There's an anchor. Glory. Oh yes. Everything is kind of held together by that corner. Hey mama just hold things together because there you're going to present a haven and a place of stability so when father comes in he can say blessed be God oh that he has granted me a woman of virtue. Hallelujah upon whom I can depend and know she is a support a helper you work the building you train them it was also to be an idea of something that was beautiful. It was to be out there projected as an item of beauty. 
Our girls, too, are overweight. We let them eat all the sugar they want, all the snacks they want, any time they want, and anything they want. And when they sit down at our table and turn their nose up at what mama has taken time to fix, we kowtow, we bow down. Oh, you don't like that. I'll fix you something else. You're not raising daughters. You're raising tyrants. You're raising selfish little kids that are going to make your life miserable and bring shame to you. Cook a good meal. Cook something that's wholesome and healthful. I'm not telling you you can't have a candy bar once in a while. You just don't eat the whole pack at one time. Okay? A pack of candy bars ought to last you three weeks, not three days. Or three months, maybe. But you sit down to the meal. First of all, when they're little, give them all kinds of variety. Feed them. Don't, don't just say, oh, they don't like that. They can't give them anything. They grow up on chicken nuggets and fries. Come on, brother. You're going to build a real strong, beautiful character on chicken nuggets and fries and pizza. Where's the strength of that? Where's the sense of that? I ain't against eating a chicken nugget. All right, I've eaten a few in my lifetime. Ain't nobody likes a french fry better than Dan Woods. And I like pizza. But it's not every day. It's not every meal, all right? It is something, there's balance to this thing somewhere. It's okay to have a pizza night once in a while. It's all right to have a French fry day once in a while, but you're not going to get the extra double, double, large, triple portion size. You're going to have a small size fry. You're not going to get the mega, mega, triple layer, four pound Big Mac. You're going to content yourself with a burger. Help us. We got to get a hold of it. It's killing us. Come on. Brother Woods, I'll take some of it too, all right? I'll preach to the choir a little while. It's okay. Let's, let's, let's take it. Let's join together in this. Let's realize this is what our culture is doing. It's influencing us. It's bringing these ideas on us. We're going to dress our girls like girls. We're not going to put them in little tights that show their body. We're not going to make them Hollywood icons. We're not going to make them prostitutes. We're going to dress them like women. We're going to let them look like women. We're going to teach that little girl she's sugar and spice and everything nice. She is an instrument of beauty. She is a girl portrays to the culture the purity and sanctity that every culture ought to have. Sons and daughters. Sons and daughters. And he says, and I close, stand to your feet. He says, Lord, please help me in this battle. I don't want the influence of foreigners. Please, Lord, I don't want that. Open their hand and get me out. Free me from that. Rid me from them. I want my sons to grow up as 
plants in their youth. I want my daughters to be like a fine rock that's been cut at a quarry. It sits out as a prominent part of the building, an instrument of beauty and strength, virtue, moral rectitude, something that is beautiful, excellent, glorious, something that is so treasurable and so valuable that my sons will die to preserve it. You want to know where your culture's at? You don't want to know where your culture's at where just a little bit, if they pass that goofy bill. I'll tell you how far we are. See this young girl right here? Ashley, beautiful young lady. Where are they at? See Mariah over here? Young ladies right here. See that young girl, Christina? See these girls back here? See these girls right here, this Jordan? You see them? Let me tell you what you're going to do with them. We're going to get in a war with the country and they're going to be drafted. We're going to have to sign up. How many of you daddies? You want that liberal agenda? Let me tell you what it's going to give you. It's going to make you stand at your door and your 18-year-old daughter marches off to defend your home. Oh, they'll never do that. Yes, they will. They're pushing for it now. Is that what you want? We played into their hands. Is that what we want? Is that what God wants? That is an abhorrence in the sight of God. No. The husband, the father, the son will stand out there and say, No, our wives and daughters are to be protected. We will go and fight. Because we are the protectors. Of our, we don't like that. I can do it as good as a man. You missed the point. It's not a question of ability. Although men, by their nature, overall are stronger than women physically. That's a scientific fact. It's a biblical truth. Why are the transgenders hollering now? Why are the women hollering? Because men are whipping them in their, their competitions. Because the man who thinks he's a woman is beating them out. I don't feel sorry for them. You pushed that agenda for years and now you got it. I don't feel sorry for them. But I am not interested in sending my daughters off to fight our battles, to defend my home and my country and my church. No. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. It's not about ability. It's about design. It's about what we're called to do. Feel the Holy Ghost help us, Lord, right here. The psalmist concludes by saying, Lord, we've got to have a culture in which our children can come up and our daughters can be beautiful and our sons can be strong. 
Strong sons and dazzling daughters, Lord. That's what I want. And then, Lord, I want to be able to sustain them. Let our garners be full. Let our barns be full and our fields plenty. I want those kids to have a meal on their table, Lord. I don't want them to have to live in an economy of constant struggles. Not that they shouldn't sacrifice and work. But if the economy is, if people are so focused just on getting a meal, it makes it hard sometimes to focus on other things that are essential. I said, and then Lord, I want our oxen to be strong. I don't want disease among our cattle. And then he says, Lord, lastly, I don't want my children to grow up in an atmosphere of violence. I don't want there to be complaining in our streets and rioting and protesting. That's what he's talking about. Complaints in our streets. This lack of peace in our streets. Isn't it interesting? If I can just say again, the vanity. The peace. They, they, they look. Oh, help me, Lord Jesus, help me. Can I tell you something? It's not in that world. And the church has failed. Let me tell you where it starts. Right here. I'm just going to be honest with you. The reason we're where we are in our country today, one big reason is because preachers wouldn't preach what I just preached. It don't make me anything. But we've been afraid to stand up in our pulpits and tell that. And encourage and tell our young ladies, we don't want you to be men. And tell our young men, we don't want you to look like girls. We want you to be a man. A man around here you can act like one and it's okay. Because that's how God made you to be. I like this guy. Right here, that's what we want you to be. Stand, stand on the front row. Praise God. Yeah, that's where we want you. Leaders in worship, your homes and your country. Right here. That's what we want. Our ladies, pure, virtuous, beautiful, discreet. Yes, all of those things. But I will tell you, where we have went in our culture is it's a mess out there. It starts right here. Right. Yeah. Let's clean it up. Right. Amen. Amen. Let's get our appetites under control. Yes. Yeah. Let's start figuring out what young men ought to be That's right, brother. and what our young girls ought to be. Yes. And let's be examples to them. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. I love this guy right here. That's what we're going to do. In our church, our men are going to be men who can shake each other's hand and hug each other's neck. And there won't ever be a thought about homosexuality. No, sir. That thought won't even cross our mind. Because we're men. And we want to marry a woman. Not a half woman. Or a woman who thinks it's a man. But a real woman Amen. who knows she's a woman. Amen? Yeah. We want that. Oh, help me, Lord, right here, please. There may be violence in our streets, 
but there'll be peace here. Make sure in your home there's peace. Maybe you come from a background where there's been a failure. Maybe your children are lost and they got caught up in it. Where does it start? It starts by building a church they can come to. It starts by building a place where they can again see the real. It starts by you being faithful and making a place and help make a place where when the God wakes them up, they can come to because they can't go to that liberal church. It's all messed up and convoluted and they got sissies running the show. You can't send them there because it isn't going to help them. They got to come to a place where they can see what God made them to be and they can come to a place where they can hear the truth again. It starts by that and then it starts by you praying and saying, God, teach my hands to war and teach my fingers to fight. Show me how to win them back. Show me how to reach them for you. And don't compromise the message in order to win their favor. Stand your ground. Stay true. Preach the truth and pray and let God be God. 